Halito, and welcome to Native Chalk Talk, a podcast by Natives for all. Here, we're keeping our Native ancestors' stories and history alive, while also sharing with you our Native cultures, traditions, and more. I'm Rachel Youngman, a Choctaw originally from Anadarko, Oklahoma. I hope you'll enjoy this journey with me as we learn from our Native American guests. And stay tuned for the end of each episode, where we'll talk about some great ways to support Native causes and or Native-owned businesses. Let's get started. But first, a word from our sponsor. The Choctaw Nation has always provided a foundation upon which a future can be built. From our home in Southeast Oklahoma to a bingo hall that grew to be one of the largest casinos in the world. Today's summer school programs lay the groundwork for a love of learning. Small business programs support local economies. And with over 10,000 jobs created, Choctaw offers financial stability to tribal members and our neighbors. Together we build success because together we're more. Here I sit with you today, listeners, with a fellow Choctaw, Jennifer Story. And I think her last name is so fitting. In these podcasts, everything is about honoring our ancestors' stories and telling the story of our lineage and our history and the story of our culture and how it became our culture and the story of our traditions and so on. And often these stories come with great mystery. What was the name of the ancestor who came over on the Trail of Tears before they left their homelands and they were given a Christian name to replace their native name? Why did Uncle Cicero land in jail? Why was my aunt given up to a white guardian? Why did my grandmother have two different birthdays recorded? There are so many pieces to our stories that can be unknown for years, if not forever, but some mysteries can be solved. The pieces come together and open our eyes to a whole new world of information that help us tell the rest of the story. And when that happens, it feels like we're finally able to do our ancestors justice, like they won't be forgotten and their lives and the good times, as well as the pain they went through, wasn't just dust in the wind. And today we just may be unfolding parts of a mystery together as we share Jennifer's story. We won't have a full resolution by the end of today's episode, but we will be well on our way and we hope to share more information to y'all Sunday. So please stay tuned. Y'all please welcome Jennifer Story, Jennifer Yokuki for joining me today and for sharing some very interesting accounts from your Tewa side to your Choctaw side that are gonna knock our listeners socks off. Yakuki, thank you for having me. How exciting. I'm excited too. I'm so excited that we get to do this together because it's been this long journey of you and I kind of digging into your story together. And I've just totally appreciated your opening up your world to me. So I know you as Choctaw, but you are also made up of a few other tribes too, correct? Yes, I am Choctaw. I'm also Tewa Pueblo from the Okeawinge, formerly San Juan Pueblo in New Mexico. And I'm also Ogallala Lakota from Pine Ridge. Wow. And then, so something you and I talked about one time is that you, you and I are both Choctaw. I am Oklahoma Choctaw and you're Mississippi Choctaw. And that's kind of been a mystery to you, right? Yes. On my like CDIB, it says Mississippi Choctaw, which I, I just figured that's, that's accurate because aren't the Choctaws from Mississippi. So it just never occurred to me that anyone else's card was different. Right. (laughs) And then you saw someone like mine and you're like, wait, why does your say Oklahoma Choctaw on it? We'll we'll talk about that more too. I'm sure later. 
So for those who may not know, the Choctaw originally came from Mississippi, along with a couple of other states, to Indian Territory during the removal along what most know as the Trail of Tears. And in a bit, we'll talk about some of the rather ironic issues that tend to arise between the Mississippi and the Oklahoma Choctaw. But first, uh, Jennifer, you grew up in Marietta in South Central Oklahoma, but you live in Colorado now, correct? Yes, I live in Durango, Colorado. We're a kind of a tourist town and no, kind of almost northern New Mexico. We're still we're in the mountains. We're a mountain town. Nice. It's it's, it's a fun it's place. Beautiful there, right? Can I come I, over I tell and visit? People, or? <laughs> right. I please come and visit. Okay. Um, but I tell people we live in a postcard. You live on a postcard. That sounds amazing. So <laughs> how do people get there? Like, do you fly into Denver or where do, how do people get to you? You can fly into Durango, Colorado. We have an airport. Oh, good. Okay. It has a couple direct flights to Denver, to Dallas, um, and then a lot of um, airport hopping to get lots yeah. of places. <laughs> um, <clears throat> but it's, I mean, from Denver, it's like a 45 minute flight. And okay. it's just like, you just got to get over the mountains, but by car, it's six and a half hours to Denver. Okay. Oof. Yeah. That's a little ways. It's all through the mountains. You have to yeah. hope that you can get one of those other flights to the next hub or whatever. Right. So. Right. I mean, our nearest, um, like big place that people mostly know is Albuquerque, which is three and a half hours away. Oh Yeah. So we're off the kind of like, you got to be going to Durango to get there. We're in the four corners area. Okay. Region. Gotcha. Well, thanks for helping us put that on the map. And I know my husband's uh, friends live there and we've always wanted to go up there. So if we do, I'm going to be sure to come knock on your door too. <laughs> yes. Yes. <laughs> now something happened with your dad before you were born that sort of helped shape your life calling, right? Yes. My dad had a significant spiritual encounter it, it changed his life it changed the trajectory of his life um he he became a christian he became a believer the year before i was born so that's the only man i ever knew mm -hmm. um, and then even when you were at school in ou i think you were studying architecture you joined the campus ministry right and then it sounds like it also shaped something you're doing today why don't you tell us more about that right so growing up in a christian home um it was just church was normal, Christian faith, um, belief. This was all really normal. And um, in eighth grade, I, I feel like I, I had a distinct um, message, calling, vision from God that if I want to go to school, I'm going to have to start like right then. So that was in eighth grade. And so I started doing all the classes and everything necessary. Um, and I got a full ride to the University of Oklahoma. Um, and awesome. I studied architecture, like my dad. My dad was architect. And um, growing up at church, I also knew that on campuses, there are campus ministries. And it's like something specifically for college students. And it's a weird transition time um, when you're first away from home. And, you know, now you've got all this freedom. And right. um, it's just <laughs> it's just a new area. And like, how are you going to connect with people? Like, like for me, I grew up in a small town and you just grow up with people. Like we didn't ever have to meet people. We just already knew each other. So how do you mm -hmm. even go meet strangers? Like, how do you become friends? Like it's, it's kind of a different thing. So 
Um, I already knew there was a ministry, um, the Baptist Student Union at OU that I wanted to be involved in. And I knew some older people uh, from my hometown that had been involved in that ministry. And so I, I knew I wanted to be involved in that when I got to campus. And that, that freshman year, um, I learned so many new things. And it, it's like, it took all these things that for me were disjointed in, in what I understood about my faith and then put it all, locked it in and made it, it all made sense. Wow. And so it's actually what I'm doing today. I'm doing campus ministry now because it was such an important piece in my life. And I see how influential it can be. It's like that critical time in a young person's life. And I mean, you make some of your, like a lot of people find their spouse in their college years and decide what kind of career they're going to have and where they're going to live and all kinds of like major pieces. And like, true. Or kind of like a chaplain, a chaplain, like our military has chaplains, our fire departments have chaplains. Um, like when Katrina hit, um, probably thousands of chaplains went um, to New Orleans and chaplains are on hand kind of in crisis. Um, they're not, they're not pastors. They're not, they're not going to see you like your whole life or your whole growing up or yeah, kind of thing, but they're going to be right there to pray with you or just to be with you or to talk through things kind of like a counselor, kind of like a mentor, kind of like a, a teacher, um, mostly a friend. And so that's what we do where I'm kind of like a chaplain. Um, and I, I meet with college students and my, my joke, I love all my college students. <laughs> president past but uh one of the jokes I say is like college students are almost always in crisis yeah like, mm-hmm. it's that's just daily living and some of that is just being away from home absolutely um, I I was yeah. on a podcast with a stickball maker the other day and he was saying how he also I think he went to OU as well and and same thing where he when he went away he just you have all these expectations that it's going to be exciting and fun. And, and then it hits you that I'm away from home. I'm having a hard time knowing where I fit in. And so it's nice to know that there's people like yourself who are at these colleges and, and can help and hopefully make it a little less stressful and worrisome. So, and what college is it that you're working at today? So I don't work for the college, but I work on the campus of Fort Lewis college in Durango, Colorado. Okay. So I went and looked up Fort Lewis college the other day and I'm glad I did. It's a federally designated NAS NTI, which is a native American serving non-tribal institution that has over 10% native American students. So I, I thought that was very interesting. I, I didn't know that there were NAS NTI designated colleges out there. So basically you're out there helping there today in the college, even though you're not an employee of the college, but you also had a couple of stints with acting, right? <laughs> um, a stint, I wouldn't call it that, but like really, really amazing um, chance opportunities. <laughs> <laughs> we'll take it. <laughs> okay. Um, the most recent, um, I was in the killers of the flower moon as a, as a dancer, I was cast as a native American ballroom dancer. Oh, how nice. And I'm so excited for killers of the flower moon to come out. It's going to be very good. And so that movie, a lot of people know about it, but, um, just in case not, it's based on the book of the same name. Um, it should come out in 2022. It's starring Leonardo DiCaprio and Robert De Niro and some other great names, as well as a full 
wonderful Native American cast. And I share more about the true story of the Osage Indians in Oklahoma being murdered during the 1920s in what was known as the Reign of Terror in Native Chalk Talk Season 1, Episode 2. That's called Murder in Osage County. So be sure to check it out, listeners. Now, how you got into dancing is a story in itself. You were going through a hard time at you know, when you started dancing, right? Yes. Yes. So, um, we moved to Durango and I mean, all of our families in Oklahoma. So we moved to Durango already far away from home. Um, and my husband had developed some very complicated, um, health, uh, situations and he had, um, open heart surgery. And that same week that he had open heart surgery, we found out my brother had stage four cancer. Oh my goodness. Colon cancer. Um, get checked people. Yes. Um, and my brother, he, he was never married, never had kids. Um, and so it was my parents that was taking care of my brother, you know? So my husband is recovering from open heart surgery, which is like no small thing. Mm -hmm. And then he's getting sicker and sicker and sicker. And so it's like, by the time Josh, my husband, Josh could be up on his feet and, and we have kids too. So he could manage the house a little bit. Then I would go and help my parents with my brother's care. And it's like when you're in the hospital and the talk, doctors are talking around you and it's, it's just a whole different type of language. Wow. It was just hard. To, it was hard for them to keep connected to what even they're saying about his care, what needs to happen. And uh, they would get, they would really get behind and really get overwhelmed. And then it would be time for me to go back to help them kind of get caught up and get ahead. And it, it was just, it was, it was kind of an insane time. Cause it, I was like a nurse on both ends, 24 hours a day on either end, wherever I was. Oh my gosh. And we know my husband, like this is, he's like a walking miracle. He's had so many health issues over the years and he's still here. And I mean, even his doctor said like, you're the you're the only person I've seen with this long of uh, medical issues who's alive. Like it, wow, it, he is a even to doctors, miracle. yeah, even to doctors doesn't make sense. And to my brother, um, when he, when he did die, he was a changed man. And, and that was a miracle too. Hmm. And from in his lifetime, he, he struggled so much with things have to be perfect. He's going to have the perfect job and the perfect wife and the perfect house and the perfect kids and all these perfect things. And I would get so mad at him and say, well, you're not perfect. Why do you think the perfect woman wants you? you know, I would just, oh, Good I just point, so right? frustrated with him. And, and, and that just, it just created this scenario in his life that like, it, it's like it kept him in, in, in this place of inactivity. Um, and he did a lot of things too, but it, it's just like, he said to me, he said to me one day, Jennifer, why didn't I ever do anything? Wow. Russell, I don't know. Why didn't you ever do anything? Waiting for the perfect scenario. Right. And he's seeing that now looking back over his life and he got right with the Lord. He got right with our family members. He, he made it a point to address every single family member and like, just tell them that he loves them. And like, he, he knew, he knew he was mostly on his way out. Like we don't know Mm -hmm. when, and we don't know how or what all is going to be. Um, but one th- when he said that though, it, it made me think, uh, what am I doing? <laughs> yeah. Know, he, he's saying, why did I ever do anything? And I'm like, what have I done? And, you know, I think we, that's kind of a unique opportunity that sometimes like, it's like really old people say that like on mm. their deathbed and they're looking back, but there's no life ahead of it. And so my brother's saying it 
with his thought, like it's heaven next for him. But I'm thinking it now. I'm like, I, I have nothing wrong with me. You know, I, I'm fairly healthy and I'm going to go on. I'm like, I'm asking this question now so that my life can be different moving forward. Exactly. And I, it's such a good something, like you said, it's kind of profound. You're like, I'm hearing this at a younger age and I'm watching my brother pass on with regrets. Why didn't, why was I always waiting for everything to be perfect before I made a move? Why didn't I ever do anything? And so I feel like he kind of gave you this gift in a way and me too now to go, what do we want to do in our lifetime? You know? Right. And there's one thing like just regret and looking back. And then there's another thing to be changed by that and move forward. So that's what I was saying. Like, regret he could talk about these things that didn't happen but he moved forward like a different man wow and and that was that's what I was saying that was its own miracle and you know we we had I feel like God was so gracious to give us the time um the doctors didn't expect him to live through one emergency surgery and he lived from December to October of that next year and was really fighting cancer, battling it. It was, it was horrible to watch. It's the worst thing to see your loved one go through mm-hmm. this. And, um, but in that time, everything that ever needed to be said was said. For me, going back and forth being a nurse, not really, I'm not even a nurse, but being a nurse to my, yeah. my brother and my husband, I was like, I'm going to lose my mind. That's what I thought was going to be next. <laughs> like it was just, it was kind of an insane moment in my life and oh my gosh. So one day it just kind of out of the blue, like I just looked up our, if there are dance lessons in Durango and I'm a Baptist minister, like <laughs> Baptist allowed to dance. <laughs> Baptists don't dance and that's the okay. joke. And like, these are look offered at a location in town that I probably wouldn't be there normally and I was like I'm gonna lose my mind or I've got to do have some kind of outlet yeah and I started taking dance lessons and fast forward um COVID hit and then social dancing is the first thing to go with COVID I mean that's touching that's being in each other's face and stuff and so Mm -hmm. we had danced in a long time over COVID time and then um in August of 2020 in our area in Durango uh we saw we started getting all these reports and stuff in the paper and on social media and stuff that they were going to shoot a um, tv pilot out near us and they're looking for Native American faces and by this point in COVID like I have teenage boys trying to come up with anything like new, like we're still living. We still want to have experiences and, and those kind of things. And I was just trying to think of new things to do with my kids. And so I saw this, I was like, come on boys, let's go. And so we went to this casting for Native American faces. And um, I, there were so many people in line. I mean, they were in line from like 6 a.m. that morning and we got in at 4 p.m. And like, I thought there's no, there's no way that it's gonna like, I don't know. It's just fun. It's a fun experience that we got to do. Yeah, That's, that totally. was really my mind. And um, then I got a fine, like, like probably a month or however long later, um, I got a call say, or I got an email saying that I could be an extra in one of these scenes. Oh my gosh. Okay. So oh my gosh. <laughs> if you're going to be an extra, you've got to come out and do a COVID test. And at that point they couldn't have young people on, on set yet. 
mm-hmm. with COVID regulations and stuff. So my kids couldn't do it. But um, I went out and got uh, COVID tested and I'm standing there checking in and there's all these people here and I don't know who anyone is like, I don't know, whatever. So I'm checking in, I'm about to get um, COVID swapped in my way back in my head. You know, those, those were painful. <laughs> They're the worst. <laughs> yeah. And like, I'm just anticipating, I'm like all nervous and I'm nervous about the testing, not necessarily about being what I'm doing now, just right. for the testing at that moment, but <laughs> And then it was like the next day, one of the casting directors called me and said, how soon could you be here? Huh? What did you <laughs> think at that moment? Were you so excited? I, well, I was cooking and I, I think I was even helping my kids with homework. <laughs> and like, it was just like, what? <laughs> Isn't that the way it goes though? I mean, that's, yeah. that's how they do it. Can you be here in five minutes? What? I'm in right. another state right. right now. Anyway, right. so right. they called yeah, you and so, said, and get on like, down here. Durango to where they're filming was a good drive. It's a, like a drive. It's not in, they weren't filming in Durango. So I told them, I don't know, maybe 40, 45 minutes is the soonest I could get there. And um, she said right then on the call, she's like, the assistant director remembered you because your blue eyes. Wow. And so that's the only reason why they called me this day. Um, the person they had for this, this, um, is an extra, an extra role. Um, I don't know why, but she had left set and she wasn't coming back and they were going to lose their filming for that day. Like, you know, you've got everything blocked out. And so they didn't want to lose that day. So they called me and I made it. And like, they were just so thankful. And happy. Like, I felt like a movie star right there. Like they're That's all just so thinking nice. me and they, like, they all knew my name and like, what is well, going and, on? <laughs> and you know, like the blue eyes really are your signature. Cause you, you look very native and you have that black hair, but the blue eyes. And I was asking you earlier, you know, do your family members have blue eyes? And, and you said, no, right. Like you're no, no. <laughs> Mm-hmm. So anyway, it's your conversation starter, your natural it built is. in. It is. <laughs> so I dropped awesome. everything and I went out to the set, of course. Oh yeah. Okay. And what, what was and the show called or movie or whatever? Yeah. It's called Badwater and it's a modern day story with a, a girl from the reservation who goes missing and they find her uh, murdered oh, wow. and the conflict between the townspeople, like in uh, cowboy Colorado and the townspeople uh, and the people in the res and like whose fault is it and what are you doing about it and just it, it's that's wow. real messy but that's real life like it's just a retelling of how this story happens missing and murdered indigenous women like mm-hmm. we should care why are we not doing more like you have the resources so why aren't you doing something about it and Wow. I, I really hope you mentioned that it's in pilot right now, pilot mode. I'm really mm-hmm. hoping that that gets picked up by a network or a streaming service. Do you think it will? I mean, have you heard anything more since the last time you and I talked? I haven't heard anything more. Um, I know they were shopping it around, but like the directors, like one of the directors of Breaking Bad and like, wow, like he, it's not like this is some small thing. It is still in a pilot and we don't know when and we don't know. We don't know any, I really don't know anything else at this point. And I was an extra in one small scene, <laughs> but yeah, <laughs> it was still me I mean, in, the, in the primary actor in this one scene. So I was the cleaning lady. All right. That. <laughs> if it comes out, I am definitely looking for that blue eyed cleaning lady. <laughs> It'll be easier to find you that way too. So, right, and, and right. how cool to say that you had some small part in the MMIW world, right. you know, like getting awareness right. out there. And I really right. hope that this important show gets out there again. I haven't seen it yet, but I would assume that the timing is good 
Native Americans mm-hmm. are getting more recognition than ever. And the missing and murdered indigenous women thing is getting a, a lot more recognition. So right. let's right. keep our fingers crossed everybody and be sure to watch it if it does come out. So, right. so wow. to get paid for that, I had to sign up on their like casting site or whatever. So I could get paid for being an extra anyway. So, yeah. <laughs> um, and, and that got me in kind of an email loop with other casting notices and it, it just kind of opened up a whole new world to me. I like, there's casting notices and I, I just think that's in Hollywood. So that's like, there's no way I'm going to ever do that. But since it was here in Durango, I mean, like right here yeah, is why I got to do that. That's the only reason why, because it's right here. And I started seeing the Killers of the Flower Moon casting, um, like looking for Native American extras and all this stuff. And I thought, oh, even if they called me, I couldn't be there in 40 minutes. Like, right. That's, it's in Oklahoma. Like, yeah. Yeah. I was like, there's no way. So I, I, I just kind of brushed it off and I was like, that's really cool though. It's super cool. I mean, in Oklahoma. And my first thought, like when, when I realized uh, COVID had set their filming back like a year or whatever, mm-hmm. um, most of their casting was in 2019. Wow. But when they were still casting for small parts, like now um, up till recently, um, and it said they were going to be filming in the majority of it um, this summer. Wow. Oh, okay. 2021. Yeah. That's when I realized, well, I'm going to be in Oklahoma this summer. Oh, I could maybe, I, I'll just send my stuff in. But I, I really thought the first thing, like they're going to film in Oklahoma in summer. Ugh. Do they have <laughs> any idea how hot it's going to be? I've always wondered if they knew that, like, do they know it gets really hot there? I don't think they knew going in like how, <laughs> how that, like, is that? I mean, they're shooting some winter scenes and men are in like full wool coats and stuff. <laughs> I don't, I don't even know how they did it. I but, don't either. Well, and you yeah. know, that tie you have with Oklahoma is you have family that lives in Oklahoma, right? Right. right. Which is why I would be there in the summer. Cause like I work with college students and they're out for the summer. So in the mm-hmm. summers we go, we see our families. And so I knew I was going to be there and close by. And so I sent in a few pictures that I had that were just terrible and I never heard <laughs> back and I was like, whatever. And then they cast, they were casting for like ballroom dancers, but the way they worded it sound like you needed to be super ultra professional ballroom dancers and Mm -hmm. I just do this for fun and I was like well I don't know let's see let's see so I took some pictures and they also said you needed to film yourself dancing and send it in that was the that's how they're gonna pick you right and so I found a, a studio in Tulsa and um my cousin took some pictures of me and we filmed it sent it in and I shocking shocking when I checked my messages one day that they were asking me to be on this show that's (laughs) amazing I just I couldn't believe it I was like no way I'm dreaming this (laughs) and you know at first when it was like this ballroom dancer stuff I thought I'll just do this for fun and then they 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 casted another one for students of ballroom and that's when I thought well that's me like, yeah, you're like, I can do that. I can be yeah, a student. I'm a student of ballroom. That's that's easily me. And then they cast it for Native American ballroom dancers. Oh and my gosh. For real, I thought I was born for this. <laughs> yes, girl. Yes. She's born to dance. Yes. She's her blue eyes. They're gonna come out it's, dancing. It's my it's my fun. There's such a joy. I love it. And um I, I got to do this in this movie and you're an extra. So you're not like, you know, going in, you're not guaranteed you're going to even make it in a scene, but I was there. I was, we had two days of practices um, and we had two days of filming 
But I know that that filming scene, it was a night scene and there was a lot of real key elements of the story that were happening that night. So it's so exciting. Oh my gosh, that's so cool. (laughs) I want to see it. (laughs) It should come out sooner than later. It's probably gonna be like, whoosh, that was me. That was me. (laughs) (laughs) That is awesome. Oh goodness. Wow. So then, so you get this, you know, Hey, you're going to be a ballroom dancer. You get somebody breaks the news to you. And so what did it look like once you arrived and what happened next? I got fitted for a costume and this costume, well, I told them I'm a dancer. So they have like vintage clothing that they don't want ripped or, you know, just anything. Yeah. There's a button. And so they put, they put me in a more, um, it's a modern, but more generic kind of costume that I could move in. Oh, I knew we would, I would be fine. And, um, I got COVID tested like a hundred times. I don't know how many times I did that. And I was so scared every time I was like, what if I have COVID? Like, <laughs> right. You're like, I know I don't, but if I do. Yeah, I totally. So nervous. And then, um, we did our practices and, they were this was shocking too they were at a ballroom in a hotel in Bartlesville and the movie had the whole hotel rented out oh wow it even said like not open to the public um until like September 2021 it's like this I mean the movie like has this whole hotel it's crazy so um we showed up for rehearsals and I I thought too like they're going to tell us what to do kind of like choreographing, like on a, like on a stage. Uh huh. And what I found out is they just wanted us to be like regular townspeople. Like you just dance with your friends and you just, um, you mess up or you, you both get off or you'd laugh about it and you get dancing again. And that's what it ended up being. But okay. the first few days was just trying to get this group of people. Um, we're all strangers and we're supposed to look like a town of people that know each other. Yeah. So it's like those first two days, yeah, the two days of rehearsal were more about us connecting with each other and knowing, like trying to know each other. And I'm, this happens to me a lot, but I, I am a Native American person and I'm in a Christian world. I'm a Native American person and in this ballroom dancing world. And it's not like notable, like tons of Native American take ballroom dancing. Like you just don't hear that. Yeah, you, know? you don't. You don't. Right. So even when I when I sent my stuff in, I was like, "How many can there be?" Like, I know like, that's I, yeah, that's what I'd be I wondering. Get it? Too. Yeah. <laughs> so am I the only one? I don't know. I don't. I, I I don't know how many there were, but as far as I know, there was another couple. Like I don't I don't know anyone don't, else who was there. Yeah. But they had there were other ballroom dancers, and I mean, everyone in Oklahoma has some kind of native blood. I mean, almost. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So there were like ballroom dancers that came in and you can always tell the dancers because they bring in their own dance shoes. They're stretching. They, they know what to do because it's, it's what we do. And then all these native folks walked in the door and it, it's perfectly like, it's just like in a movie, like an awkward dance or something like these people are on this side and these people are on this side. And there was no mixing. And I was like, they've got to make a town out of these people. Like, that's what they were going to try to do. But I like, I don't fit in this side only. And I don't fit in this side only. I'm, I'm kind of in between. But I watched this happen. I'm like, well, which side do I go to? Except the dancers, they all went to the side with the dance floor. I'm like, well, yeah, that's where you go. Because that's where we're dancing. We, we're thinking. 
Right. Yeah. So we went to this tiny little dance floor. Like, there's no way. Like, this whole movie is going to be on this tiny little dance floor. Oh my gosh. Like, <laughs> it was, it was so funny. But, um, like, one of the things they had us do is like walk by each other without making any eye contact with each other. Mm-hmm. Like, how that, how awkward that is. And then we're going to do it again walk through yeah. and like acknowledge each other and it's just kind of natural and you just you're like a town and I will tell you by the end of filming on the second day of filming I was like we all legitimately have talked to each other and know each other and have had a lot of fun together and I think it was it would look real natural yeah um, yeah eventually it was right <laughs> um, and you know another thing like uh, many tribes represented on this movie mm-hmm. and I mean there's some there's some native tribes you don't look each other in the face Mm-hmm. right and that's what they're asking us to do and I'm like I, I don't know like <laughs> I don't know it's it's, it's just a little so unnatural many, yeah there's so many little things to get around and stuff so and even going into this you know I, I did a lot of research and I was like I don't even know if I look Osage enough like I, this is their story and I don't want to misrepresent their story or you know that kind of thing I'm like I already have blue eyes which is kind of weird in a native world and like mm-hmm. uh, I don't know and so that first day on set and they did my makeup I was like well now I look really Hispanic <laughs> like, <laughs> which is there's nothing wrong with that it's just that's not who right. I need to play and you know but it's been like that anywhere like I was in Cambodia and they start speaking Khmer to me and I've been in other places and they thought I was Filipino if I go to Mex- Mexican restaurant, they automatically start speaking Spanish. And so like, I don't know. I can I see like, that. I can totally I see you fitting weird... in anywhere. And then you put yes. the conversation starter, which is your eyes. So, <laughs> um, so in that practice though, this is hilarious. In that practice, these guys that came in, I knew the story we're telling too is like injustice and it's, it's going to be a hard story. This is a fun moment with dancing and stuff. I know this is a hard story. And I was like, what kind of mindset am I supposed to have? And at one point I asked the choreographer, I was like, am I supposed to be dancing with native men only? Because in this time setting, would I even be dancing with a white guy? Like really? And he's like, no, we want this to be mixed. We want it to be like a town. Like you would mix. I'm like, would they mix? You know, I, I was just still kind of struggling with right. that. And so when, when the choreographer said, okay, I want you to pair up with a partner. And like, you could tell the people who are not dancers because they're like, what? <laughs> a part, like a partner, like pair up with a partner. What does that mean? Like the dancers, they're all good to go. Yeah. And they all came with each other. So they're all paired up with each other. And then I look and there's this guy right here. I'm like, okay, he's lost. And so <laughs> I said, we'll, we'll be partners. And he was a native guy. He's been an extra on the film already at that point. And, um, and then at one, another point they said, okay, switch partners. So then I found another native guy. What I came to find out is these guys showed up thinking they were going to dance in a powwow. Fancy dancers. Fancy dancers. Not like, <laughs> like person to person dancing, like holding hands and like in the dance world, like it's not that serious. Like we all dance with each other. It's a community. It's not like you're getting married. You're not committing your whole life to this person because you asked them to dance. Right. But right. To non-dancers, it's like, oh my gosh, <laughs> she asked me to dance. It was, it was so funny. It was just, Did they, you see some of that fancy dance. dance coming out in the ballroom dancing? I could see one guy, the way he moves his, like, just his gait. <laughs> it was just like, 
okay. Uh, but they didn't know how to partner dance and they wanted us to do like Foxtrot and- Oh my goodness. Uh, so uh, they heard dance, both parties heard dance and right. then these guys show up ready to do powwow dancing and other people are like, oh, they can dance. They're ballroom dancers. And it really was not, they were not on the same page. <laughs> well, I, I really think- like the dancers are the only ones that actually responded to the casting. They just pulled in extras and, and they're often extras. And oh. like everyone I saw there were I, I recognized in a lot of like the extra uh, work. And like, they, I don't think they knew. They just knew they were supposed to be at the hotel. Mm-hmm. So here I am <laughs> dancing with this guy. Like I, I taught this guy how to dance in two and a half days. It was nuts. That's um, great. Probably made a friend <laughs> too, right? Yeah, yeah. That's Good great. job, Blake. You did great. Hey, Blake. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. It's wild. Love it. It's wild. It's such a great story. And every time I hear, you know, everyone, every time I talk to someone from Oklahoma or that came to Oklahoma for the movie, all say the same thing and that they really like connected with people and they've made friends for life now and how mm. it was just such a wonderful experience. So, so that makes me really happy. Right. So and that's how I found you actually, because I had seen a, a podcast that you were interviewing. I don't have it right here written down, but um, you were interviewing yeah. a guy who had been an extra on the show and I listened to it and I loved hearing him tell it because he had been on set way many more days than me. Oh but my as God. he's telling it, it just sounded like, it's like being there again. It's just so great. And that's how I even found you. So That's so <laughs> interesting. Yeah, that's Mike M- Michelle Tubby Simpson who was on that, right. um, the one about the Killers of the Flower Moon. That's so cool that, that that's how we found each other. I love right. that. Yeah, and you're like, I can just remember, I can still feel it like it was yesterday. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, that's great. <laughs> and so you actually, there was something about Nicole Kidman that I remember you sharing. Yes. Yes. So that first day on set, you know, you get your makeup done. Now you go to the costume and um, they bring out your stuff. It's just rows and rows, racks and racks and racks of all everyone's costumes and stuff. I don't know how they keep track of it. It's, there's yeah. so many working parts, but they bring me my stuff and my shoes are not with it. Uh, where are my shoes? They're asking me, like, I don't know. Like it was, <laughs> it's at the warehouse thing at the other day, you know, I don't know. So then they brought different pairs of shoes for me to try. Yeah. One pair of shoes that they brought, I looked inside and it said these were made for Nicole Kidman. Oh my gosh. That's so cool. You and Nicole Kidman have the same size shoe. I was like, these have to fit. (laughs) These have to sit. I have to wear these in the movie. You know, I did take a picture. It's like, it says made for Nicole Kidman. You have to send me that picture. um, Yes. And so I put it on and it's just like everyone's foot shape is a little different. And so they, I was like, I'm going to be dancing and they have to stay on my feet. So I didn't wear them, but. Oh, well, at least you got to look at them. That's pretty yeah, cool. Yeah. <laughs> so my shoes, they fit me and they were cute. And it was, it was super great. <laughs> I was like, I need to be confident in my shoes when I'm dancing. That's right. Oh, and I love this story. And to say that you'll be in Killers of the Flower Moon, which will most likely become the most pivotal game-changing Native American movie of our lifetime. That's what I'm thinking. Due to the fact that the filming was as authentically made as possible, it'll it'll be such an honor. So very exciting. It is. I, I, it was, it's, it's a once in a lifetime, like I feel like super happen chance that it even happened. And it was amazing. It was amazing to, to just be a part of it and just see how all of it works, all the lights, all the cameras, every angle. And oh my, totally. it's, there's just so much. I mean, it make it makes you, it makes me think about when I watch a movie now, like 
somebody's car is parked right off seat. <laughs> like it's just right yeah, there. Right. Yeah, all the things that you're just not in the, in the scene to, you're not catching every, all the people who are working behind the scene. So oh, many of the cast and the crew that are like waiting in the wings to come in and oh mm-hmm. my goodness. And nuts. do you think you'll be cast in the credits? I don't know. I was cast for a specific part, like a Native American ballroom dancer supposed to be representing an Osage woman, um, townsperson, had no speaking part. So I know it's usually a speaking part that gets um, some kind of credit, movie credit. Um, But I also heard, I mean, there's so many rumors and stuff too, but I also Uh heard that they're going to list every tribe represented and the people of every tribe represented in this movie. So it's not credit, but it's like they, they opened it. I I feel privileged too, because they opened it up to other people and um, it could have just been Osage and and that would have been okay too. Like, Mm -hmm. you know, so I already feel like I'm a tiny, tiny, like extra on the scene that's helping tell the story, which feels really, I don't know, big or heavy or something. Oh yeah. It's the sum of all the parts and you know, all those tribes coming together must have felt wonderful. And so we'll all just look for the Native American woman with the blue eyes in the dance scene, and we'll be cheering you on. So let's shift a little bit. We'll learn more about your ancestors, starting with the generation close to you. So your mama and daddy. And um, I love that you had sent in some pictures of me. So I'm, I'm getting a chance to kind of Uh, see visuals of your family as we go through this story and your mama is Pueblo correct yes um she's Pueblo um but we say she's Tewa she says she's Tewa and she's also Sioux and when she says it she just says Tewa Sioux it's like like hyphenated like she's only she's a single person so she's both you know and we talked about that a little bit before like how do we be one thing like we're all a combination of true our life and past and history. So yes, she is Tewa Pueblo. Um, she's also Sioux and German, which might be where I got blue eyes. We don't know. Could be. Could be. <laughs> <laughs> um, her, she's beautiful. My mama's beautiful. And um, of course, growing is. up, she would she would come into our classrooms, um, my classroom growing up, and I think in my sisters, probably my brothers too, and do like Native American cultural days in my whatever class I was in at the time and come in and do that. And it kind of, it's more general because, you know, you're working with kids and you're just trying to get something accomplished. (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) And it wasn't specifically Tewa only or Sue only, or, you know, she was involved in um, Johnson O'Malley and she was a part of the, um, some BIA work and just, just there's a variety of, of people groups within native communities that she's, she knows. And anyway, we'll just come into the classroom and bring that uh, maybe even awareness to people like, this is native culture. I mean, do you realize it's distinct? You know? Right. Right. And for our listeners, the Johnson O'Malley program was a government program that promoted culture and academics and language for native Americans. And, but she grew up in, um, Las Vegas. Right. And then did she head on over to Muskogee from there? Yes. Well, she moved around. Um, her, her dad was a, um, he did the same thing. He taught at like a camp 
and he taught Native American culture at one point and he put himself through college and um, he was a principal and uh, educator and a band teacher. And um, I think at that point too, like they were moving around from different schools. She, she didn't move around a whole lot, but um, she was a teenager in Las Vegas, Nevada. Okay. But her parents met at Baycomb in Muskogee, Oklahoma. Mm-hmm. And then she came to Muskogee and she met my dad. So it was destined. I was supposed to go there, but they didn't have architecture. So I didn't go there. <laughs> <laughs> okay. You had other plans for your life. <laughs> right, right. I think so. I think so. But I, I feel really privileged in that too, because I'm a third generation college grad. Wow. Native, native college grad. That's 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 awesome yeah at Fort Lewis like at graduations they the school there it's kind of amazing they make a really big deal about students who are graduating who are first generation graduates wow that's amazing yes I'm like it took a whole lot because their families don't even know they're not even familiar with what it would take to complete college because they have never done it and so this Mm -hmm. person is the first in the entire family to do it wow yeah, goes so to your I family. That's absolutely. Those are good, good right. odds. That many people in in any family, really. Um, right, right. Basically, generation family. It's it's excellent. So your mom's daddy. What was his tribe? So he was the Ogallala Lakota. Okay. Uh, of Pine Ridge, and he was also German. Um, he he looked Sioux. I mean, you wouldn't know anything else. I mean, that's he was teaching like Native American culture at camps and stuff. And he, they, they affectionately called him Chief Bearheart. His name is Bearheart. And he would sign his name with the picture of bear with a heart inside. Oh, I and, love that. Yeah. And so um, we've passed that name on to my son too. So my son is Noah Bearheart story. We put it together as one name. But um, and I love it's, it's that. Such a, it's such a great name. But my mom said growing up, sometimes like, school or somebody would call and I would ask for because they see it bare heart like is it is it one name is that the first and the last name <laughs> I asked you the same story the same right, question right. too <laughs> they, they can't really be his name right you know kind of thing and they would ask for is Mr. Bear there like <laughs> I like to talk to Mr. Bear hearts <laughs> I love it though that's great and I I see I have this photo here that you sent from the Biscuit which is our Choctaw newspaper and it's of the late chief Gregory Pyle and he's holding Asher and you're beside him holding Noah Bearheart so is is Asher your child as well I assume yes he's my youngest so, so we had Noah. to come up with a name that would rival Bearheart Right. And, uh, how do you, how, how do you do, do that? You like you can't that, both be bare heart. <laughs> and you know, my brother's Tewa name though was hummingbird. You get a name when you're little and you get a name when you grow up mm-hmm. and we got our, we got our little kid names hummingbird. Oh, and I love that. I was like, let's just, let's, let's name Asher hummingbird. And my husband's family was like, are you kidding? He's going to get beat up. And like, just, they just kept, they could not let it go. Oh, so we tried every possibility. And so we came with Eagle, Asher Eagle. That, that oh, that to, is that great. to work. Yeah. So still bird. Asher That's Eagle. Right. And then when he was born, he is so musical. He like tiny, tiny baby. He was, he would sing and hum in tune. And I told my family, see, I knew his name was Hummingbird. <laughs> <laughs> and y'all were all wrong. 
<laughs> you were wrong. You were wrong. Continue I'm... to hold that over their heads. <laughs> he is hummingbird. <laughs> so hummingbird and bearheart, and and what lucky names? I mean, how can you not have friends with names like bearheart and eagle? You know. Mm-hmm. So now your um your grandpa though he went to a boarding school, right? Yes. We have a picture of him. Um, I think I sent that one to you. Yes. Oh my gosh. It's so so cute. I know he's in a little military (laughs) uniform, which is what they did to them back then because they were very regimented at the boarding schools, unfortunately. And I mean, for most of the boarding schools, it was not a good scenario, of course, but he looks adorable and I'll be sure to post this on my Facebook, uh, native chalk talk page for everyone to see what a sweetie and he's five years old in this picture, right? I, I think so. Mm-hmm. And I mean, he I can, was taken from his family at such a young age. I mean, what does that even do to a child? And then later, you know, here he is in this little picture of him in this kind of militant looking garb, but later he served in the army, correct? Yes. He served in the army in World War II. Um, you know, like I said, he looks Sue, he's darker complexion and darker hair and everything. And I mean, there's so many stories and the retelling of the stories are tragedy stories, but this mm-hmm. is one of those stories too. Like he was often put on the front lines cause he could, he wasn't white. Like he could maybe even slip past, maybe be a little more Japanese looking or, you know, mm-hmm. I don't know, like a lot of, I think a lot of ethnic people, I think they were some, so often used as pawns. Sad. Um, it's kind of a miracle that he made it through it. He, he lived through it. Um, no one's ever the same after war, of course. Uh, mm-hmm. But he, I mean, he, he went to OU too. I mean, it's like wow. every, every way that you try to diminish a person, there's still this side to succeed or whatever. Yeah. He still had that drive to do things. And he um, was in the pride marching band, right? Yes. Yeah. So my mom heart. was little and my mom was little. She'd go to OU games, which for us, like a big deal now, but she would go to OU games and wouldn't care about the football the whole time. She's looking for daddy on the field. Oh, like. <laughs> that's my dad. <laughs> well, and I love seeing this picture of him when he's older and he's in regalia. And, um, you had told me that he really tried to help keep the native culture stay in the forefront of people's minds, which is at that time, you know, a few years ago, I'm not sure when he passed, but there was a long time where People didn't recognize Native Americans, as we all know. We are recognizing them more now than ever, as we mentioned earlier. But I love that there were people out there that were like, hey, we're not going to let this die. We're going to share our stories and our cultures and our traditions. And so that's great. So we talked about your mom's dad, Bearheart. Tell us more about your mom's mom. So your, your grandma, she really has some fascinating aspects to her story. Yes, so my mom's mom is Tewa, and she was the oldest of nine kids. And uh, I think I said before already, but her and Bearheart met in college. They met at Bay Code mm-hmm. in Muskogee, Oklahoma. Of all um, places. <laughs> I know, right? Which is like where my parents met too. So That's right. <laughs> wouldn't be here without Muskogee. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> she is from... Um, okay wingay and all growing up it wasn't until recently they changed the name to okay wingay and it was san juan pueblo as far as i ever knew and and wanting to retell some of the story and like where where does it start where how far back do you go yeah Um, i started looking at information from her her lineage 
And Pueblo was one of the ones that had a lot of Spanish influence. Mm-hmm. And um, I sent you a picture. Mm-hmm. I was going to tell you the picture with the cross and like, I think it's like a fireplace, piece of a fireplace. Uh-huh. Those are the ruins from the first capital of New Spain. Oh, cool. And then there's my grandmother and my Aunt Esther. That's like a hundred yards away from each other. So my grandmother's mother lived in that area, the first capital of uh, New Mexico. Okay. Wow. <laughs> it's, it's, it's like, what? Like, how does that, I don't, there's just so many little pieces of story. Like, yeah, how does so that many pieces. Yeah. 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 And once Tewas were married in with Spanish colonizers, I mean, that's really what they were doing, moving up through Mexico, up into um, kind of Southwest, what is now United States. And they were marrying in. And so on one of my grandmothers, my grandmother's dad's family line, we can trace back to Spain and Italia, which Italy, Spain and Italy, we can trace Mm -hmm. her family back to there. How far back is that? Do you think putting you on the spot? If, (laughs) if, if I did it right, and these are all accurate information, you know, how misspellings and different things. I think I can go back 40 generations. Wow. Because in that, in Spain, like they're keeping records. Right. Exactly. Which is so helpful, thankfully. (laughs) Right. Right. Which I can't go very far back in my suicide. Like there's just not yeah it's not a whole lot written down or if it's written down it's misspelled or that kind of thing mm-hmm. same so our listeners can check out rioariba.org to learn more information it's super interesting that's r-i-o-a-r-r-i-b-a.org so my mom's mom and her family her grandmother's family live right there where the first capital of what was then called new spain which was the capital of New Mexico, the first capital uh, capital of New Mexico before Santa Fe was right here. It's like, it's like on the land where my, my mom's mom grew up. Wow. People can also look up just historic trails across New Mexico because it goes right through there, right through Okawinge or San Juan Pueblo. San Juan is named after uh, the Spanish leader that came in and so that's why they've changed it now to the native name like a local name mm-hmm. so okay wenge means um village of the strong people so it's it feels more accurate now it's not spain you know it's yeah it's, it's kind of reclaimed native people lands and communities so interesting i mean a lot of times we forget to talk about um, the Spaniards and what was going on with the native Americans back in the day. We talk a lot about French fur traders and the Scottish and all that, but, um, we forget to talk about that sometimes that intermixing of the Spaniards and the native Americans. So it's such an interesting history that your, uh, your grandmother has. So now you and your mama the other day, were also telling me about your grandma's sister, Esther Martinez. Yes. Uh, Esther, which is how almost everyone knows her anyway, Esther, except for her own family, their, their grandmother mm-hmm. um, or their mom. But Aunt Esther is kind of a, kind of a, a famous movie star person in our family. Um, she's done so much. Yes. And, I mean, after I got to know you and I was looking her up, I was like, wait a minute. I was just scrolling and scrolling about all this history about her. I mean, she's, she's kind of a big deal. 
<laughs> she is. She is. She is. And it's funny because like my grandmother and my Aunt Esther, they're they're so small stature women. They're so <laughs> tiny. I'm looking at this picture so of them. Tiny. I just love them. They're adorable. <laughs> oh gosh. But um she went to a boarding school also. I mean, everyone did. Like, you know, you were mentioning like fur traders and stuff that's on the Choctaw side, but out here in the Southwest, it was all Spaniard stuff. Mm-hmm, true. So it's like, it's kind of depends on what tribe you are. And like, this is all we hear about out here is the Spaniard side. So I, again, I was looking and, and scrolling around, just trying to learn more about your great aunt Esther and sounded like she was incredibly important for the Tewa language. So Estefanita Martinez, or as you knew her aunt Esther was born in 1912 and she passed away in September of 2006. So she was 94 years old. What a life that must've been for her. So her Tewa name was, and I'm going to butcher this. So I want you to correct me when I'm done, but Poetisawa. 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 Okay. I like that better. We're going to go with that. And if anyone wants to correct us, we will not be upset. Feel free to write to me on my native Chalk Talk Facebook page. <laughs> so don't be mad at me. <laughs> don't be mad at either one of us because we don't know. <laughs> we know a little Chalk Talk, okay? <laughs> yeah, yeah. So in 1982, her Tewa dictionary was published. She published a dictionary. How cool is that? So she also went to native boarding schools, the Santa Fe Indian school and Albuquerque Indian school, where she graduated in 1930. And what's interesting is my great grandmother went to Albuquerque Indian school as well. So I was excited to hear that. So, so Esther's grandson, Matthew Martinez was taught the Tewa language by his Satya and was quoted saying that she survived her years in boarding school and went on to help her community by perpetuating the language is a powerful statement. No matter the harsh conditions, she still carried that desire to hold on to her language and culture and document it and pass it on. So Barbara Richardson, New Mexico's former first lady said she went on to almost single-handedly save the Tewa language. Wow. What a woman. So this remarkable woman also raised 10 children, translated the new Testament into Tewa, wrote books, won prizes, and was a traditional storyteller. So here we go back to what your brother said. What am I doing? <laughs> oh my goodness. Right. Right. I gotta step up my game. She's amazing. <laughs> So, and this is in a time when a lot of women just raise children and raising children is so admirable and obviously the best job we'll ever have, but you know, they didn't do all these other things too. And she was just well-known. She had done a lot of things and she was tough as nails and 94 years old. So Esther, who was 94 years old, she was returning home from a trip to Washington, DC, where she had just won an award and she was hit by a drunk driver and killed. I just about cried when I read this because I was like following her story and going, yay, Esther. And then I see this and I'm like, oh my gosh, she didn't even die of natural causes. Right. So who knows how much longer that woman would have lived and what stories she would have continued to tell God rest her soul. And may he continue to bless the fruits of all her efforts that live on today. So tell us a little bit about the funeral, Jennifer. Yeah, we had talked about that a little bit before. I will say um, just a couple of things to fill in some of her story. Uh, she would say that they were given a comfortable bed and nice sheets at boarding school. Her problem was there were no grandfathers. There were no grandmothers to to tell your stories or to comfort Aww. the kids. You know, that was that was the hardship was being separated from your family. Mm-hmm. You know, we, we, we see like the 
the, the physical needs and all these things, which are harsh too. That's for real. Mm-hmm. But to be separated from your family and she was, you know, 25 miles away from her family. And when you're a little kid, that's, that might as well be the other side of the world. Oh, I know. Right. You know, she said that <laughs> this is how they, they, they helped each other, the kids there, and maybe your grandmother, great grandmother too, mm-hmm. is they would form their own little family units. The kids Aww. would. That's so sweet and sad. Oh my God. Oh my gosh. And um, of course there were any, any, we know this in just history that the many native students were punished just for speaking their language. Sure. Um, so it is like, it's kind of just amazing. Like despite that upbringing, she's the one that revived the language, you know? Oh so. my gosh. Right. It's like, here, I'm going to put it back in your face. We're going to keep this thing alive. Wow. Wow. Yeah. And, and, Another thing, like I was looking through all stuff on her too. Like there's so much, mm-hmm. but her Tewa dictionary is like, they've taken that and used that in other Tewa Pueblo groups and, and some of the language is a little different. And so they've, they've modified it for their own uh, oh, dialect, Yeah, but that's huge. And that award that she was accepting was the national endowment for the arts. Wow. Wow. He was honored as an 2006 National Heritage Fellow for Folk and Traditional Artist. It's the nation's highest honor for for folk arts, for arts, wow. for the arts. Wow, good for her. I'm so proud of her. You must be too. Your whole yeah, family must yeah. be. Yeah. So that in in that December of 2006, her the Esther Martinez Native American Language Preservation Act um, was signed into law. Wow. And this is not just concerning the Tewa language. This is this is to further the and plan to help preserve native languages, all native languages. This is not just oh, wow. Tewa. Mm-hmm. This is this this is a national like law. This this goes to everyone to try to preserve languages. And I mean her her name like shows up in information like at Mesa Verde and Canyon of the Ancients and it's wild. Everybody wishes they had an aunt Esther, you know, she even has her own historical marker. Right. <laughs> I was just right. at this picture you said it's a uh, right. official scenic historic marker, Esther Martinez. And she served her community as an educator, linguist, and storyteller. Her foremost contribution to our state are documenting and preserving the Tewa language and the art of storytelling. Esther was named a national heritage fellow in 2006 um, all the stuff that you just said. Mm-hmm. That's, that's great. So my great aunt Esther, was my grandmother's sister mm-hmm. and the drunk driver, you know, that whole thing, it was a tragedy. And it like so many, so many of the family came together for the service. And I do want to say, I, I know that you had asked about the funeral because we had talked about it the other day but I know that there's a lot of like cultural secrets and stigma around funerals and death and this kind of thing and I want to I, I know that so I would say that up front um and I will say they did a lot of traditional uh funeral rites and I don't know I really shouldn't go into much more but sure there are just so many cultural differences though it's like it's shocking like outside the Pueblo and inside the Pueblo there's just so many different it's just a different world. It's like a different country. It's a different world. I bet. So, 
So even when I take my family there, like my husband and my kids, um, I have to give them all these instructions. Um, usually when we go, we're going like on a feast day. That's kind of the big one where like, it's almost like homecoming. Everyone comes home mm-hmm. and there's so many people there. And uh, I, I have to tell them like, it's so beautiful and you you want to take pictures but, but you cannot don't. take a picture yeah you cannot take a picture I was like my, I told my husband even if somebody texts you like you can't have your phone out because they'll take it mm-hmm. like you can't take a picture unless you like apply for a permit in advance and so like National Geographic has come in and so there's there are pictures of the feast days um, but you got to look through official kind of official photographs and channels because regular people aren't supposed to take pictures. Yeah. Um, I even like with my husband, <laughs> a joke and say, my husband couldn't be any wider if he tried. <laughs> and so when he's walking around, it's really obvious he's not from there. <laughs> like, like who super, is this man? Yeah. Yeah. And I'm like, don't ever like, just, you just need to stay with me. Like, besides that, my mom and I didn't aren't from there either I mean they know we're not from there they know yeah they know you know that when we are standing with our family they know we're fine but like they don't really know us either so mm-hmm. like there's just a lot of things you got to be careful about when you go in there you can't just go in there assuming with your own culture that you know how it works there yes kind of thing. makes sense much respect yes yes um so at, at Esther's funeral though we also had a Catholic mass because again, the Spanish influence there, they're also um, a Catholic church there. Mm-hmm. Um, and there were many people, many outsiders, um, not from the Pueblo that came to her, her, her service. And I mean, it just, it just was amazing to see how like the impact she had on people just far, kind of far and wide. Mm-hmm. And, um, <laughs> have you ever like come across somebody and like can't place them? Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's like, it's like the worst, like, how do I know them? Oh gosh. And I don't go to the Pueblo very often, but like feast days and stuff. And, and maybe that's like once a year. And sometimes I don't get to go every year. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I recognize faces. Um, and I was, I was looking at this man. I was trying to remember like, how do I, how are we related? Or, cause I know I've seen him. How are we related? Or I don't, I can't place when I, when it was, I would have seen him last or what <laughs> it was West Studi. <laughs> what <laughs> oh my gosh West Studi was at your aunt's funeral yes it was wow. I felt so silly like I, I was so hard trying to place this in my mind trying to make these connections <laughs> I'm so glad you didn't walk up to him and go hi do we know each other <laughs> how are we related exactly yeah oh gosh what well, so West Studi from last of the Mohicans the hostiles and just about any movie that requires a native American actor. So, so he was no doubt there to pay homage to a great woman who had done great things, I assume. Right. 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 Thank you. Aunt Esther for all you did for your family community and for native speakers everywhere. We appreciate you. So that's your mom's side. Tell us more about your father. Yes. So my dad is Choctaw and like I said, it's Mississippi Choctaw on our card. So I just, we just thought, yeah, we're from Mississippi, aren't we? Like, isn't that right. like those telling? That's how it goes. And um, people were removed to Oklahoma and the whole thing. And I, I don't think this, some of this information that we're going to talk about, like, I don't think my dad or his generation even knew. I don't, I don't know. Hmm. Wow. Like, it's stuff I've never heard. I've never heard him talk about it. And, and we're storytellers. Like, yeah. I, 
I've never heard this stuff. So um, just a little bit about my dad, though. Um, Like I said, he went to he went to college, too, and uh, he studied architecture and just like my whole my whole Johnson side are like all artists and designers and engineers and this kind of thing. It's like that's who we are. Wow. And um, (laughs) my dad was in the army also. And um, I grew up watching MASH. I love TV. MASH. I remember MASH. I remember the music, right? You hear yeah, that come on, you know what the show is about. Yeah. Right. And I love watching because my dad would always tell me, like, there's there's a lot of war stories that just men cannot tell. They just cannot retell yes. it. It's just too bad. Um, but we would watch it and he would tell me that his position, his post was like clinger. <laughs> the guy that wore the dress, right? Yes. <laughs> but he's that he's he travels with the mobile um surgical yeah. hospital yeah and and kind of the security around you okay. know so it, it was it always it just helped me like I can kind of see You're like it, I know, you know yeah exactly yeah 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 um, and, and that's Vietnam so he was in the Vietnam right, War then right, right, do you know yes, where yes. he was stationed I do I just can't say it he's got it on his um Vietnam hat they, oh, they all have like yeah. where they serve yeah. I, I can't say, you know, I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> okay. um, yeah. Um, my dad, he is the third kid out of eight kids. My dad and his dad and, and I, we all grew up in Marietta, Oklahoma. And the mascot in Marietta is is the Indians. So it says Marietta, home of the Indians. Wouldn't and you it's know? Always funny yeah. like, it's always funny because like, that's us. <laughs> oh, home of us. And home it, of us. It, it almost might as well be like the whole state of Oklahoma. Is right. The Native right. Americans. Right. Oh, funny. Right. So that's cool. So your dad was, um, he was in Vietnam and he was basically the same position as Klinger on MASH. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So my parents met at Bacon College, just like my mom's parents met at Bacon College. Um, it's they're in Muskogee, Oklahoma. It's like a native boarding school at one point. Um, I think it's the one of the very first ones in all of the state of Oklahoma. Wow. And students get free tuition. And that's so great. I think that's what what draws like my mom from Las Vegas, Nevada. She could go to school in Muskogee. And, and be surrounded um, by other Native Americans, which I'm sure is yeah. probably a perk. Right, right. My, my mom's cousin went. My mom's two sisters went, my dad's, a couple of my dad's brothers went to Bacon. Yeah. So it's, it's an important place apparently for my family. Like <laughs> none yes. of us would be without Bacon College. Right. Um, and my dad actually went to school at Bacon and then he was drafted and I, he came home from Vietnam and so many didn't, I mean, one of his best friends True. didn't come home and um, it was after he came home, my parents got married. Um, he went on to study because Bacon's a junior college. Um, he went on to study architecture at the University of Texas at Arlington at UTA. Mm-hmm. And um, that's about the time when my brother was born. And uh, my brother's 10 years older than me. Well, there's a lot of life between my brother and me. And then I'm six years older than my sister. Oh, wow. Really and spread so them apart. Like, <laughs> <laughs> we really spread it apart. Yeah. That um, means Russell must have been a handful because they're like, do we do this again? <laughs> <laughs> it was crazy because he's was the he only grandson. No, no, he, but he was the only grandson for a while. Like Aww. he used to tell us about Christmas. It's like the whole house was full of presents just for him. Oh. And we all arrived and he had to share it with everyone else. Yeah. He's like, not yes. there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, 
Well, now you have a very interesting story to tell about your daddy's Choctaw side, and it may tie into some newer research that has unfolded over the last few years on the final removal of the Choctaw. This is the mystery we talked about earlier, and I'm so excited to delve in further. So you, your grandparents, your dad's grandparents, um, are there on the Dawes rolls, right? Yes. Both sets of my dad's grandparents are on the Dawes rolls. Four, okay. four people. And I think that's a great place to start because the Dawes rolls being the rolls Native Americans signed onto in order to gain their land allotments from the government, um, that, that really was um, a place where we came from Native Americans who didn't keep records. Usually there was a lot of oral history and story passed down, but not um, necessarily logged. So for a lot of us who've done research over the years, the Dawes rolls really are an important piece to our research on our ancestors. So tell us what you've put together so far about your great grandparents' story. And this is all like just things that put together. I can't even say like I have all the information, but if I've heard correctly, um, they're part of the group that came later than the Trail of Tears. Um, and they all came over by train. Mm-hmm. Um, they came over between like 1901 and 1903. Um, it took, supposedly it took about six months by train to get here. So I know even before boarding the train, like there's there's some written we actually have something to go on, something written down. Mm-hmm. And I can go to a few more names prior to them, the group that got on the train. I can go back to a few places in Mississippi and I can go back to a couple names of people, individuals. So one name is Tuklo. Uh, and I think Tuklo is an interesting name because Tuklo spelled T-U-K-L-O is the name for the number two in Choctaw. But in your research, it's spelled Tuklo, T-O-O-K-O-L-O, which is very common for English and natives who would try to translate names onto paper that, that were native names. They'd sound it out, not really knowing what the actual spelling should be. And, and my guess is the name was supposed to be Tuklo, the word for the number two, but I'm just guessing it could be, I could be totally wrong. I'm, I'm not fluent in Choctaw. I just know bits and pieces. So, okay. Y'all, I have to tell you, this really piqued my interest when Jennifer said this to me, when we were talking about doing a podcast together. So she told me that story. She just told you about the train and the, the late removal and all those things. Cause most of us know that the removal started more like in the 18, the early 1830s, which I'll get to that in a second. But for anyone who has researched their native American ancestry, you'll know as Jennifer and I do that it can take your entire lifetime to just find one or two little nuggets of information here and there. And the information is hard to find. And often it's incorrect or misspelled or was lost in a fire as I've run into a hundred times, you know, Oh, I'm on the trail. I think I know where this person was. And then I contact the history, uh, the person that knows the history of the school. And they're like, Oh no, those records burned in the fire anyway. And not only that, Genealogists and historians are learning new pieces of information all the time. So sometimes you think you know something and then it changes. Or after 10 years of of being along one direction of information, you find you need to do like an about face and head a totally different direction. So for the longest time, we knew about the removals of natives from their homelands into Indian territory on what's known as the removal, or as most people will say, the Trail of Tears that took place in the 1830s. However, a woman named Deanna Bird researched a final removal that very few know anything about. 
And a friend of mine, Mark Williams, who films documentaries, was the filmmaker on the project to share more about the story. So most Choctaws were ripped from their homes and moved to Indian Territory in the years 1831 through 1833. However, some Choctaws refused to leave, and those who did so and remained in Mississippi, their lives were made a living hell by the government. So another final removal came later on, and this one wasn't as well known. And of course, as happened very often to the natives back then, there were white folks who tricked the Mississippi Choctaw into signing contracts that would require they give up portions of their allotted lands that they were to receive once they got to Indian territory. So in addition, they were to receive food, wagons, a home, and horses upon arrival. And after three years, they would be eligible to buy their land back. This was what they were told anyway. Keep in mind, most of them didn't speak English and of course couldn't read or write in English and they couldn't even read the contracts they signed. So they were an easy target for those trying to steal their land. And when I say they couldn't read the contracts they signed, a lot of times they would just sign with an X because they couldn't spell their names. So there was an attorney in Ardmore, Oklahoma, who over time helped to migrate over 1,000 Choctaws to Indian territory, now Oklahoma. And over 90% of their lands were signed over to this attorney. What happened next was even more heartbreaking. These Choctaws were loaded into boxcars, just like cattle, and made their journey to Ardmore, Oklahoma by train. They then were locked into a building called the Love Building, which was almost worse than a prison. No way to heat the place. There was no sanitation, and there wasn't enough food to last through the winter. In addition to their harsh welcome to their new territory, the attorney's men were planning to sell them into slavery. The practice had begun with the first sale to a person in Purcell, Oklahoma. However, thankfully, in 1903, the Commission to the Five Civilized Tribes was alerted about the Mississippi Choctaw who were being held in the Love Building, and a man named Horace Day came to investigate. He found that 20 Choctaws were living in a house made of one room. They were in tattered clothes, and they had no shoes and no food. That first month, they had been brought to Indian Territory. Ten had died of pneumonia. And if anyone tried to escape, they would be thrown in prison. After the investigation, there was a little bit of justice and the remaining Choctaw were given their land allotments minus the liens. I hope that attorney was thrown in prison, but what do you think the chances were of that? (laughs) So get this, Jennifer, those Choctaw settled in both Ardmore, Purcell, Atoka, and wait for it, Marietta, Oklahoma. So... (laughs) Uh So yeah. Right. I mean, when I saw that, I was like, no way. So what we have here folks is the possibility that Jennifer's ancestors could quite possibly have been survivors of this group that came over on the trains and lived through those horrid conditions. And if that's the case, Jennifer, I do believe there's nothing you can't overcome. You possibly got the toughest Mississippi Choctaw (laughs) blood in you. That's known to man, but wow. You know, we can't do anything to go back in time and help these Choctaw who went through so much, but we can at least honor their memories by talking about them and acknowledging what happened to them. I've reached out to Miss Bird, the researcher of this history, to see if Jennifer's family is something she'd like to investigate. From what I understand, it isn't entirely easy to find these descendants, so wouldn't it be remarkable if together we've solved a little piece of this puzzle in tracing that lineage to these Mississippi Choctaw who were in the love building. And guess what? 
So we heard back from Miss Bird. She was so kind. And um, she said, yes, these are actually, I, I had given her some names that Jennifer had supplied to me, like the Tucolo name and, and that kind of thing. And sure enough, uh, her ancestors did come over on the train on that late removal. And I just, it was so cool when Jennifer and I talked about it, she was so excited and I was so excited. I just wanted to, I wish I could have been in Durango because we would have jumped up and down and then gone and got a margarita together or something, but, um, <laughs> So now that the mystery is solved, I'm sure there's a whole lot more to uncover and try to, you know, put some pieces together about who's who and all those things. Hopefully maybe some people have photos, you never know. Um, so, so what's next with this mystery that has been solved? I mean, just having somewhere to start, that's, that's to me, that's the mystery that's solved. Um, we're finding out these bits and pieces of the story, but still like, how come we lost it between now and then like I, you yeah, know, I know tragedy, yeah right I know tragedy is not something you just go and repeat and repeat and repeat and so maybe that's why we don't know these stories one of the things that like I, I was talking to you talked to Miss Bird um, Deanna and one of the things those those questions like why did we live in Marietta Oklahoma and not in the Choctaw Nation Mm-hmm. And so once I got the names of all the people who were on the dolls rolls, and, and I knew that I also have where all their land allotments were and all their land allotments are mostly within the Chickasaw nation. Mm-hmm. And so it was like these pockets. So it's like here and there and here and there. Um, my dad's grandpa was Adam Brokeshoulder Jr. And he was given eight plots across six counties but like slivers here and there. And like, how does anyone farm that? Right, right. You know, and like, just just trying to retell, like connect some of these stories. Like, did you ever go from place to place? Or like, it, there's just so many little pieces. Well, and, and something, sorry to interrupt, but something that I was reading was that those folks that came over later, they had to, it's not that there wasn't much left for the Choctaw Nation get to give, but they, it was in pieces. And I bet you anything, that's why he got pieces in these various places versus what my ancestors would have gotten, which was bigger pieces in one place, you know? Well, I mean, still, I mean, for whatever the reason, it still makes it kind of a, a useless, like, how do you travel from what would in our day and age are counties, different counties? Oh my god! Like, how would you get from one place to the next and, and actually be productive on any of those? places mm-hmm. and maybe you, you send some of your family over there and you stay here like how often do you see each other and just there's so many pieces to the story do you know what kind of farming he did or cattle or anything like that I don't I don't know um I know my grandpa my grandpa Johnson was a farmer and um he didn't go to World War II he he grew crops mm-hmm. um, for the effort instead and my dad grew up picking cotton so, I mean, I don't know. It could have been anything right there in that area. Right. Um, we have had Brookshelter reunions and we've been connected. Um, and I don't live in Oklahoma. I can't make it to everyone, but um, I have crossed paths with a couple of people that are in this documentary and I just have never put the stories together. And so it, it's just like, I already know <laughs> wow. this person and I haven't ever compared notes to know that we know each other and so how the story goes together. So this, I will remember documentary that's coming out. There is a descendant of one of the people in the story of coming over on the train that actually he was at one of your family reunions a long time ago. Right. And then <laughs> you didn't right. even put him together with, Oh, 
your ancestor was on this train and I've heard about this train and all that. Is that, is that the correct story? Right. It's like, I think my dad's grandpa and his dad's or his, his great grandpa, I think they're brothers. Okay. So I think we're going to hear his story. I think he's a younger brother. Yeah. But it's like, even at family reunions, it's like, you can't get everything out. Like if we all wrote everything down and could all compare notes, like, I don't know. It's just, there's, yeah, there's so right? many relatives. There's so many pieces of the story. Maybe we all know a piece, but we don't know what we don't know. We don't even know to ask what we don't know, know, you know? Right. And it really does so. take everybody sitting down and trying to make a family tree and then put them together. I, I mean, that just makes my head spin. And you even had a funny <laughs> story, right? Of your dad's broke shoulder kin. Yes. Yes. Um, so I grew up in Marietta and we live on the, like my family still has um, 40 acres of the original land allotment to my dad's grandmother, Hattie Saki there in Marietta. So fast forward to more this day and age. And uh, my husband and I both met at a a Christian camp. We we met there one summer and uh, we were engaged and you know, the whole thing. And I started meeting all his family. And his granddad grew up in a, an age where there was just a lot of racism. I mean, there's just a lot. Mm-hmm. And he was trying to figure out what, who I was, what, who are my people kind of thing. Right. And, and so when, when my husband told him I was Choctaw, he just like lit up. What? Like of all the people in the whole world, like she's Choctaw. And <laughs> we found out that my dad's broke shoulder relatives that lived in Medill, Oklahoma, lived next door to my husband's grandfather. Or, yeah, my husband's grandfather's family. What? They were next door neighbors. <laughs> so we found that out. We looked at each other. We're like, we're not related, are we? <laughs> oh my gosh. You know, growing up in Oklahoma, I always got flack for, oh, is your cousin, are you, you know, married to your cousin? I mean, it's like, here you go. I mean, but they are like, they are like real, like we did a DNA test for my husband. He's like all his family roots all go back to England. And okay, you're good. It's just, we're good. We're good. But it's just, it's just weird. I mean, what are the chances? Like two generations back, they were neighbors. And so my dad. neighbors. Yeah, my dad and my husband's grandfather um, loved to talk to each other because they all knew they knew some of the same people that were no longer here. But wow, I, love I mean, what that. are the chances you're going to find somebody that again can help fill in some of the story because they grew up next to your family? Somebody should just write a book on crazy coincidences. <laughs> you know, like all these cool right. stories out there, like like you and I doing this podcast together, and then we uncover this mystery together. It's just right crazy things like that. Right, right. You mentioned the 40 acres left of the original land allotment of your dad's grandma, who was Hattie. And I think mm-hmm. she is so adorable. She's got her little scarf on and, mm-hmm. and her little dress. So I, I'm going to definitely post her, her picture. Mm-hmm. Um, and then there's, there's a little a, restoration. So yeah. Good job. By the way. Yeah. That really helps. I, um, what she's talking about is on the left is the original And then on the right, which is probably aged a little bit. And then on the right is she's enhanced it. So it, you know, you can see the darker colors and and lighter colors as contrast better, which really makes her face show up. So what's happened with the land since then? So recently, I mean, even since you and I just started, we met and started talking, 
um, there's been a probate hearing um, and it's to put the land into names of people who are living today because I think it's since my great grandmother Hattie died. I think it's been in my grandfather's name the, for mm. the whole time. And my grandfather passed like in the nineties. So it, even my dad, my dad was one of eight and they didn't want to put it in eight people's names or break it up. And, and it's mm-hmm. still, it's weird to me. And I talked to you about this a little bit already, but it's weird to me that we think we own the earth. Like uh, it's just a weird concept to me, but mm-hmm. these, these eight children of my grandpa frank johnson these eight kids didn't want to separate the land out and so now it's 40 acres divided by eight well yeah. all those people and their kids now like it, it's going to be like microscopic pieces you know very soon because <laughs> i've got my kids too like you just keep breaking down breaking down break down mm-hmm. instead of keeping it intact as that 40 acres which is what we've done by keeping it in my grandfather's name this whole time yeah i think that's so, kind of a, a concern that a lot of people have it's like it becomes diluted and right and it's it's funny because I mean, I see the land as, okay, so let's say you ranch on it or you farm on it. To me, it's also so much more valuable and important than that from a emotional perspective. It's, it's a part of history for our relatives. They went on the trail of tears or on the train or whatever, and they went through those horrid conditions and survived so much. They're truly were survivors. They were just a few that survived, especially in your case with your relatives that came over on the train. And this is the only consolation they got. And some of them didn't even get it until a few generations later in their family. So it's valuable. It's precious. And maybe we can't hold on to it forever, but we can at least try. Right. Right. And and the idea of breaking it up, like we, we want it to be intact, like that, because so much has been lost and taken and forgotten, mm-hmm. like just keeping it intact. Like I understand my my dad's generation's reasoning with that. It's just now they're widening the highway that's right in front of the land. And so they're gonna, they want to buy some of it, but there's mm-hmm. no one to buy it from because my grandfather died many years ago. Oh, so it's not like he can sign a, a deed or sign a sale, bill of sale or anything. So that's why we had to do a probate hearing and put it into people who are living today wow. so it's, it's sad because it, now it's crossed over into a new a new age yes. and it's no longer that one piece I mean mm. we will keep it as one piece it's because it's we know to do that but it's just I don't know there's just a sadness to it yes. somehow yes and it's 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 kind of amazing too like Oklahoma was unclaimed territory it was like the leftovers that's what we removed all these people and put it there because it's, it's worthless and useless to any of us. So we'll just stick you guys there. And yeah, in that, in, in that case, then technically no one has ever owned this piece of earth that my family still lives on. Like, isn't that mm-hmm. weird? Like in all, yes. in all the eight, in all age of the earth, like no one has had a, like a huh. claim to that. <laughs> wow. That is interesting. Yeah. Like we're the only ones who've ever owned that. Oh my gosh. Okay. I hope our listeners really got that. So let's say in Indian territory, um, there were tribes that were coming in and out of different territories and places and all that. And they tended to stay in certain belts or areas and such, but they didn't necessarily think of themselves as owning the land because you can't to them, they, you can't own the land. And yet when the government allotted land, it was the first owner. Like we, Mm -hmm. our relatives were the first owners of that land of all time. I just, Mm -hmm. I never thought about that, Jennifer. That's really (laughs) profound. 
it's it's wild it's wild um wow. i sent a picture to you this is how this is the image in my mind i, I see my grandpa johnson and then oh, um, I sent a picture also of my grandma Johnson. She's the broke shoulder, Levine broke shoulder. You look and so much like her. That's crazy. I didn't know that until, so I have this picture and then I, I was like, let's restore it. Let's just see what it looks like. What? Like, because <laughs> it isn't that weird. Like I only knew her as an older lady. Yeah. Like, and we have so few pictures of her young, but then that one is so, it's just so old and distorted. I don't know. You just, Even, not till you're like really zoomed in and looking at it and putting all it back together. And then I have a picture of me from the movie mm-hmm. that looks, it's the same age. It's like they're at wow. the same age bracket. It's like in the twenties. We, we are the, <laughs> it's not the exact same, but <laughs> I can't post any pictures from the movie yet. So yeah. that's why I haven't sent that one, but there's this one that's one of my pictures I sent in for the casting and like there we are we definitely look very alike. similar and she is a gorgeous older woman too in the in the other yes. picture you sent wow gorgeous yes classy lady now my grandma was a hard lady though and I, I've described her as like she raised a small army like she had eight kids and then Huff all grandma. the grandkids <laughs> yes all the grandkids and I sent a picture to you of me and my johnson girl cousins we yeah. all happen to be at this one family thing we were doing there's so few that all of us are there at the exact same time yes, in the day to take yes. a picture and so i they'll they're gonna kill me when they see the picture that i think <laughs> don't worry i'm just i love you on all. my native yeah, talk yeah, facebook yeah, page yeah. for everybody to see <laughs> and they're so cute there's the older girls and the younger girls but like yeah, when i think adorable. of my grandma it's it's her yelling at us to go outside <laughs> And this is a picture of her, like dressed up. Um, we were at a wedding. Um, I'm not in that picture, but that's a lot of family. Um, but I, I don't remember her like this. I only remember her in an apron. Oh, really? I mean, she is all dressed up. She's beautiful. She's got yeah. makeup on and a little white purse and her blue dress. She's just, she is beautiful. Like, I know that's her, but that's just not how I see her. Yeah. <laughs> not not as glamorous normally. Yeah. I, I see her the everyday woman with the with I can't even in my mind I don't have a picture of her in my mind without an apron on same I love that about our grandmas like maybe when we become grandmas someday we should just have like aprons be part of our wardrobe every day (laughs) makes you more grandma-ish I think right and she would say go outside you're shaking the whole house (laughs) outside you made your kids Oh my gosh. Yeah. That's what, that's what Oklahoma grandmas do. You know, right. They're, they're tough love grandmas, but they do love <laughs> us and they cook for us. And so we are forever grateful. <laughs> like you said, we're, we're part of that small army. I don't know. I don't know. That's right. <laughs> it's so wow. fun to get to know your, your family this way. So now you and I were just shooting the breeze the other day and I, and we came across a topic that I think is interesting to just chat through here as many do not you also don't speak Choctaw just a little bit and you feel judged for that, right? Yes. So again, our family grew up outside the Choctaw nation in, in Chickasaw country, but in Marietta, it's very mixed. And I mean, if anything, it's majority white, but I mean, we had Hispanic and black and native, like Indian Oak, Marietta Indians. And it's like my family were the like notable Choctaws in this area. <laughs> like, right. We're the ones that look native and um, just a real mixed community. And so like, that's where my dad grew up and that's where my granddad grew up. And 
like we didn't hear the Choctaw language like you would if you lived in the Choctaw Nation region where most of the Choctaws are even still today um, and we just didn't have that and then even beyond that I didn't grow up in the Pueblo and I didn't grow up in South Dakota so I don't have those languages either yeah and so it's like how you know how do you get back something that was lost two generations ago and you know it, it's it, judged is the word I guess but it's like there's an unfairness and there's like all these things that have been lost Mm-hmm. And the, the language in our family, it's it's not what we speak. We don't speak that as our first language. And I know there's classes and we can learn. I tried to take a class at OU and it was full. And um, I know there's online classes now, which is, that's an even newer development. We can take them online. It's still, it's like my my thought process in my head is in English still. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I, I don't, and I know that that, you know, those feelings are real and they're valid. And, but I hope that you know, if you do start taking the online classes that you'll feel at home with people who are in that same position. Cause I take those classes too. And same thing. I was, I was afraid to start. Cause I was like, I know I'm going to take a long time to pick this up, but also there are people out there that are really hard on others who are trying to learn the language. There are mm-hmm. native um, groups out there that are say learning Kiowa or learning Choctaw or whatever. And there are sometimes are some nasty people on there who somebody will be a student and ask, Hey, how do I say this? Is it this or that? And they will just come down on them really hard. And, and I'm not going to hold back saying that stop mm. doing that because you're discouraging the few people out there that are willing to try to learn their language from learning. It's going to just discourage them. They're going to say, Oh, I'm not good enough for this. I, I'm stupid or whatever the case is. And they'll walk away like that. So I just, I was, I thought it was great that you shared that with me, that that's how you feel. Cause I think that's probably how a lot of people feel too, um, mm-hmm. when they're trying to learn. So, um, and every native can be in a different place in their journey. Some grew up on reservations or in tight knit native only communities. Like we have all over Oklahoma and they're hearing the language day in and day out. And I personally grew up with the Plains Indians. And so I knew very little of the Choctaw language and certainly, I actually know more words in Kiowa than I did in Choctaw. Sometimes I don't know what those words mean, or sometimes I say them terribly wrong, but it hasn't been until a year ago that I started taking Choctaw classes online with Miss Lily with the Choctaw nation. And my sister has been taking classes much longer and is certainly more fluent than I, but anyway, for my listeners, I posted a link to the Choctaw classes on nativechoctaw.com under support native if anyone wants to take classes too. So I'm taking the first year class again, and probably will do three years of it because I don't have a lot of time to study outside of class. So you could join literally any year over the next few years. And I'll probably be in there. Um, (laughs) I just want to take my time. You know, I want to really get that, that foundation built. So I'm in the Tuesday and Thursday night classes. So maybe I'll get to be in some of the same classes as my listeners. If you decide to join next year, and especially you, Jennifer, if you join me, Mm -hmm. we'll help Mm -hmm. get each other through it. So, okay. So, so please proceed. There was something else you were telling me too about, um, about the Mississippi Choctaw. Yes. And I mean, this isn't a reflection on all Mississippi Choctaw. No, no. But a few years ago, I met a young Choctaw man from Mississippi and, you know, I just immediately, oh, I'm Choctaw too. And da, da, da. Well, he just really soon told me that I was not real Choctaw and I had sold out. I'm like me, like me. (laughs) You personally, Jennifer, you sold out. (laughs) Okay. 
and it was just like and he was young and it's like his smug attitude about the whole thing though is like Rude. That, that thing is just I don't know I'm over it like <laughs> just yeah and, and, and now like the more we're learning about the story I'm like I mean isn't it enough that we're just here like we've survived to this point like isn't mm-hmm. that the story we should be telling not like they were tricked and they were you know coerced and I don't know it's preach just, it sister preach it I wonder we're still here at all I mean there's any lineage or footprint of those families left I mean here we are oh very little and and just as you and I talked about earlier some Choctaw came over to Indian territory in the 1830s where some dug their heels in and they stayed in Mississippi as long as they could eventually heading over on the later removal so However, some did stay for the long haul and their families are still there today, but sometimes there's this friendly, but other times unfriendly rivalry that goes on between the Mississippi and the Oklahoma Choctaw. And it's an interesting concept because once the first set of Choctaw came over to Indian territory, they eventually started to lose their culture and some of it was lost forever, but some picked it back up when they traveled back to Mississippi, like, you know, to see their family or, or those who stayed behind and would try to bring that old culture back. But the cultures between the two states did start to differ. It's, it's even in the little things like the Choctaw dresses that we wear, they look like prairie dresses um, and, and even a bit European looking, which was an influence of the colonizers. Anyway, the amount of ruffles at the bottom of the dress signify whether or not you're from Mississippi or Oklahoma. Okay. So I wanted you to share that with our listeners, Jennifer, because a, some people may not know that even natives tend to judge each other and hopefully we can stop doing that. Right. Y'all. And B, so that my fellow natives out there can stop judging, be kind, support each other. There aren't many of us left. So damn it. How about we stop tearing each other down? (laughs) So, and again, this isn't about Mississippi Choctaw, what we're saying right now, what we're saying is like, it's an example of, you know, something real that happened to her, but that we do see sometimes, and it can be even Navajo against Comanche, or it can be any random thing. And I think it's much better than it used to be, but it's still out there and we need to stop it. So anyway, okay. Right. I'll get off the next, uh, get off that soapbox. I, I will say too. I mean, you mentioned the dresses and like mm-hmm. there's Mississippi in Mississippi and Choctaw in Oklahoma, but the more and more I hear, I'm like, I'm in between. <laughs> yes, you are. What do you do? What do I do? I know yeah. you've got Mississippi on your card. Oh, yeah. Wow. Yeah. So when I would see this young man, like anytime I saw him in the future, I would just say, Hey, Mississippi, <laughs> just, <laughs> just leave it at that. And just You guys have kind on. of made up since then, right? Oh yeah, we're good. And I, you know, he, he actually did some study abroad and stuff. And I think that opened his eyes. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, the little that we do have in common, it's way more than you realize when you travel around the world, like there's yeah. no talk to anywhere else. We're, the, we're it. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> so we need to cling together for yeah. sure. Wow. Well, thank again. Thanks for being vulnerable and sharing that with us. And I think that more people will relate to that than we know. All right. So are there any causes that you would like to share with our listeners today? Um, yes. Um, uh, so previously you mentioned bad water and that revolves around the woman missing from the res. Um, and even the killers of the flower moon is talking about Molly Burkhart and her sisters, and um, I just, I love that these stories are being told and they're bringing awareness to the plight of women. Um, I really appreciate this, this organization. It's called International Justice Mission. 
and they literally are rescuing women around the whole world from sex trafficking and from desperate situations. I, it's amazing. It's amazing because it's not just Native women. I mean, it's it's women even around the world. Wow. Um, and then another organization that is very dear to me is She Has a Name. She Has a Name is doing some amazing work in Kenya. And I've traveled with um, Blythe, who uh, started this organization. And, you know, when you talk about it, even from like women around the world, social injustice and just yeah, the history right. and women voting and like, all this stuff, like it, it just seems huge. Like mm-hmm. what, like where do you even start? Except she has a name. Her name is Lydia. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Her yeah. name is Lydia. She has a name. This girl mm-hmm. in Kenya, because she has a name, she, this woman is no longer, she's a young woman, no longer selling her body to feed her family. I would say to listeners, um, anyone that that resonates with, uh, please support She Has a Name. Thank you for that. I love that, Jennifer. That's, and I hadn't heard about that one before. So I'm definitely going to look it up. We'll be posting it on the Native Chalk Talk Facebook page. So, so Jennifer, thank you so much for taking time to share your family stories and for helping to keep their memories alive. And we'll be sure to also honor them by posting those beautiful photos and sharing additional information for our listeners to continue talking about and learning from. And finally, what words of wisdom would you like to share with myself and our listeners? You know, we had talked about this, like this, this would be the, how I go out of this podcast. Right. <laughs> and the biggest, most important thing in my life is my faith. And that's what I want to share. If you would give me a minute, I, I would like to share that. And, yes, please. Uh, one of the things that I realized working at Fort Lewis with a lot of Native students is there is just a lot of uh, misconceptions and a lot of uh, misinformation. And just when it comes down to it, Jesus was a man of a tribe. He wasn't white. Christianity isn't from England. Like, mm-hmm. <laughs> like it's from the Middle East. Like he's of a a tribe in the nation of Israel. And like, I think tribal people, I think we would relate a whole lot more to the Bible and faith based if, if we remove the colonization part and and just set that aside for a minute. Yes, it happened. We acknowledge it. Now, if we look back at the history and this, this story of God's love for the whole world, every people group, the Bible talks about in heaven, there'll be people from every nation, every tribe, every tongue. Yes, ma'am. That's Choctaws too. And it's this message that God loves the whole world. That includes me and you. And Jesus is the one that connects us to the Father. Um, there's, there's a lot of um, religious talk. And many people say like, well, if you just choose one path, they all kind of take you up to the top of the mountain. Yeah, and I live in the mountains, and I kind of get what they're saying, but the difference is God sent his son to the foot of the mountain where we are. We didn't have to, like, trek up to try to figure out where he was or where to, how to find him. Like, God sent his son to us. So we can, if we know Jesus, we know the Father. And Jesus, like, you and me can be like me and the Father. Like, we can know each other. Hmm. Like, we can be in a relationship with each other. And it's relationships that that's what changes our life. Those are the experiences that we, we move forward in our life. So my experience, my relationship with Jesus is what propels my life forward. I, I'm married. I have kids, my family, my relationship with Jesus has changed my life. Wow. 
I love that so much. Thank you so much for sharing that. So I know you've blessed our listeners with that. Nyako Ki, my Chata sister. Thank you. Potential is everywhere in the Choctaw people. It's in our schools and students. It's in our small businesses and entrepreneurs. Potential is in our lifestyle and health. It's in our culture and heritage. Passion and commitment is in our blood. Ingenuity and economy are a tradition. And the Chutta Foundation was founded for this potential. To cultivate minds and hearts, to stimulate ideas and passions, to extend lives and improve health through education, and to preserve and promote the power of our past. The Chutta Foundation, meeting the potential of the Choctaw people. Thanks for listening to Native Chalk Talk. Be sure to join our community on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Simply search for Native Chalk Talk. That's Native, C-H-O-C-T-A-L-K. And check us out at nativechalktalk.com. Stay tuned for the next episode. You're going to love it. Yakoki. Thank you, my friends. <laughs>